Good afternoon. It's Kyle McLean and James Reed with your Wine on Wednesday podcast talking about HR, what's going on, what's happening, all the ups and the downs. Today we're joined by Eric Terigian, Vice President of HR of Akibono, based in Farmington Hills. I was talking to Eric and he came up with a really interesting viewpoint on we always talk to the HR directors is really focused, but Eric's got a track where he wants to focus on the CEOs and kind of teach them how to attract, engage, and retain top-notch talent to build the team that's kind of going to take the organization and move it on to that next level. But there's so much been happening with coronavirus and then with, with Black Lives Matter and everything quite rightfully that's changing in our society right now. Teams are under a tremendous amount of pressure. Some of them are going to crack. So, Eric, you've got some you've got some pointers that senior leadership can take to help kind of meet these challenges head on and make sure the right people are in place, right? Yeah, I hope so. Well, I'll tell you this. Thank you, first of all. It's an honor to be here, and it's really a pleasure to talk to you, gentlemen, and a chance to talk to your audience and really think about the HR narrative and what is the conversation that's happening in the HR space. You know, for me, this coronavirus, virus situation that hit in March, it really forced the whole world to pivot. And something that we'd have normally taken decades to plan, we did in a few weeks and in days time. And we offloaded so many people and re put remote work into place and did all these transformational things in a matter of days. But we have this opportunity to come out of this and we're going to really come out of it in a couple different ways. And I think now's the time that we need to start putting things in place to really attract, retain, and engage, and just grow these incredibly awesome teams. So do you think HR was strategic enough prior to this COVID thing coming in to handle that, or were we kind of lacking as an industry? No, I think HR is a, I have a bit of a pet peeve about two things for HR for my own function, right? The first one is we are definitely the cobbler's kids, and we don't have any shoes. So I think we do an incredibly good job of holding organizations accountable, of driving things like performance management and development discussions and succession planning, but we never turn back and do it for ourselves. And we do not do a good job of developing HR professionals. And there tends to be a lot of infighting in HR and people are not supportive of each other. And we see it as sort of a zero sum game. And, and I think that needs to change. And I think that this is going to, an opportunity now, our best opportunity to change it. But the other thing is, and this one maybe is even a bit more for me, is I hear from HR professionals, really more than I hear from any other functional professional, when do I get a seat at the table? And it's really frustrating to me because no one's given that seat, right? You got to go and take it. You got to go and get yourself invited. And how do you become part of the business? Well, geez, you go join the business and you go be part of it. You get your business partner and you go to their business meetings. You go to their steering team meetings. You go to their staff meetings and you attend. You don't go in there with your laptop and use this as an opportunity to catch up on email or sit there and play uh, 20 no questions. Never does that. Yeah. No one ever. yeah. I know. I mean, I've been there, right? We all know. We've seen it. And uh, many of us have probably done it. But you go, you get engaged, you ask questions. I think a good, healthy sense of curiosity. Ask people what they do. Ask people why what they're doing matters. What's their challenge? I tell my HR generalists, you need to be able to tell me. And when we start my staff meetings, you know, each of the business, HR business partners starts their update by telling me what their function is trying to deliver in the next week. Then we get to the people stuff. 
and it's a bit of a transition for them. But if you don't know what your business is facing, what challenges they're trying to hurdle, how are you supporting them? I love your message. I love your cobbler shoes analogy. I'm thinking about having cookies, that little elf character, by the yes. way. I'm going to try to use that sometime. Right. And I really like how you're finding the opportunity uh, in this situation. And I do believe grab the bull by the horns, I'm trying to do my own analogies now to make it fun. Yep. And you got to take advantage of the situation. And, you know, you are in the automotive industry and that is your background. So I guess the elephant in the room to me is why now, why not 2008 when we had an opportunity of uh, a major crisis? Why wasn't HR stepping up then or, you know, why is it different or what lessons were learned or what's your thought? No, it's a great thought and it's a great concept. And I'm going to quote something a regional vice president at Frito-Lay used to tell me all the time. He said, remember, Eric, we always reserve the right to get better and don't let something we didn't do impact something we should do. So you're right. We blew it in 2008 and we probably blew it again in, you know, 2000 and we probably kicked the pooch in 97. And you, you can go through all these foundational years we have and look back and say, hey, there was a pivot there that we missed. Hey, there was a pivot there that we missed. You think but people that, just, especially HR, they're the ones that are laying people off and they're like, am I next? Do I want to stand up, and make a lot of noise right now when we're looking at cutting costs? I mean, how yeah, can they work There is that a way? lot of that. I mean, James, there is a lot of fear. Yeah. There's a lot of fear in organizations and people tend to lead from fear. And I go back to that principle. Take what you control. Work on what you control. Have a plan. So it's the same message that I give to CEOs about how do you build strategy. You start with a vision. What's your vision? So if my vision for my career is I'm going to be a CHRO, great. That doesn't change. That is unshaken. What are your values? My personal values, I wrote them with a Sharpie on my wall in my office. They're, they mean that much to me. It's transparency. It's communication. It's an open dialogue. It's a frank discussion. Those things matter. And that's going to be the foundation of what I do. Now, break it down. What items do you need to do to be successful? What are the gaps? How are you going to close those gaps? Now back down and work on them. And at the end of the day, this is one of my little tricks. I like to tell everybody at the end of your work day, you need to take a pause and you need to stop and think to yourself, what things did I accomplish today that moved me towards my goal? And everybody can check off a few things. Now you can go leave and you can go on with the rest of your day and your weekend and you can go be present with your family and you don't need to sit and worry because in your mind, you planted the seed that I made progress today. Wow. Maybe I didn't make as much progress as I wanted to, maybe not as much as other days, but I made progress. But I think what most people do is they leave the day and they tend to say to themselves, oh man, this was terrible and oh, this was bad and all oh, this bad one happened. And they plant these negative seeds and then they go and they ferment all evening and they're trying to play with their kids, but they're thinking in the back of their mind, like, oh, geez, I should have finished that report. And maybe if I go color that cell and excel orange and I do this one over here in bold and maybe I can get this report over. But then what you end up doing is nothing well. Hmm. So, well, Eric, I love your style. I love your choice of words. Um, kick the pooch. Uh, <laughs> fermenting makes me think about having beer or something. So I think it is refreshing to hear all your ideas. 
Hey, yeah. when I started in HR, if I'll give you a quick story if it's okay. I started labor relations in a steel mill. So I get there. They don't even have the keys to my office. So they're like, this is where your office is going to be. We can't figure out how to unlock the door. We're trying to get in there. So one of the union reps came over and he's like, oh no, we can get in there. We know how to get in. He pops the ceiling tile, climbs up, drops in there and pops the door open for me. I said, well, how do you guys know how to do this? And he goes, well, this is where the labor reps used to keep all of the booze that they confiscated. So whenever we had something going, as soon as all the management went home, we'd come in here, we'd grab a couple bottles, and that's how we would get our parties going. I love the stories. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, I love the frank discussion. Like, James, how many times do you actually – are you actually able to have a frank discussion? I mean, how did that help you with your career? Because you had a pretty fast rise. Yeah, I would say that it's exactly what you're talking about, Eric. You can't – understand all the skeletons in the closet of a company unless the HR person or the other C-suite is comfortable sharing the skeletons in the closet. And you can't just say, tell me everything. You actually have to earn that trust and earn that respect where they are comfortable sharing those intimacies with you. And I guess prior to this podcast, Eric, you were kind of telling us one of your tactics is hashtag make dreams come true. So I don't know if you earned that type of direct communication by giving before you're getting or, you know, what tactics do you have to be able to communicate frankly and not offend somebody? Love it. Yeah. And I'm actually just finalizing uh, the, my book up and I was just going through rereading chapters for probably the 400th time. And I was just putting the piece down about networking. And I think where people fail on the networking is they become net takers, not net givers. And when I was with Pepsi, we had a very hard time recruiting from Michigan State. And it was their food service program, you know, where Pepsi, like this should have been, there should be no better connection than this. And we just couldn't crack the code and we just couldn't get good, solid recruits. We were getting B recruits and we were really scratching our heads to say, what are we, what's costing us to lose this? So I sat down with one of the professors and just tried to do a five why. It was my process-oriented action coming through. And he told me, he said, you guys are takers. He goes, all you do is show up at the career sessions and you try to interview and take the best students. He said, we never see you the rest of the year. Mm. And that's when it kind of dawned on me and said, you know what, you need to give first, then the take will be a push. So I started teaching a class at Michigan State and I would go in there and guest lecture for them and we would show up at all the events and we would do the coaching and the, we would do mock interviews and we would just got very, very present. And the quality of our recruits was 10x what we saw. What I liked about that though was we were able to demonstrate to our business because our business partners had to commit to seeing an HR generalist being gone. And they would say, well, where is that person? Well, they're at Michigan State, they're doing mock interviews today for students. And the first reaction is, well, how does that help us? But here now I can show you, here's the demonstrable results that you get by making this investment. Be a giver first, invest in people, believe in people. People will believe in you. Make so enough what, people's dreams come true and all of yours will as well. So is that how a CEO should start to build their team? Should the CEO give first rather than asking what can the HR director give them to step into the spot? I mean, how, how do they have a frank discussion with a CEO saying, I'm the girl or I'm the guy for this position? Yeah, well, 
First of all, I think every CEO, the first frank discussion you need to have with them is they need to understand they have three key people on their team. So you've got your CFO, that's your banker. They're the ones who are going to keep the cash flowing. Right. You have your COO, they're the storekeeper. They keep the cash register ringing. Right. And number three is you have your HR person and that's your culture and your people wizard. They keep everything moving. You keep those three people, those are three critical roles for you. Now, I'm not saying the others are less critical, but those three are core. Now, from there, we have to look and say, who are your key seats and who are the key seats around the table and what role are they going to play? I think if you can talk to a CEO in these kinds of terms, they tend to look at you differently because now you become part of their strategic plan as opposed to an administrative bolt-on. When I got to Akibono, outside the, there's a one main hallway and then you would turn and HR was down this little side hallway and it's kind of tucked back in the corner. And right above the turn was a sign that said administration. And the first thing I did when I got there was I talked to um, Vilm, who's the CEO, and I said, can we get that sign taken down? And he said, well, why? I said, because we're not administration. If anything, that should say business partner. And so should this one and so should the finance one. I said, we can't segment ourselves like that. But I don't think they're used to hearing this kind of narrative from HR. So we've got to train them and we've got to teach them. Well, there's definitely a lot of takeaways I've heard so far. Right. And, you know, the, to me, Callum and I have been trying with various features to kind of understand the secret sauce. And I appreciate you sharing your tips. And what is your thought on does HR adapt to the CEO or is the CEO supposed to adapt to HR? Right. Well, you know, it's a great question, right? So when you get married, does your wife adapt to you or do you adapt to her? I mean, so really it's a partnership and a partnership should never look like one and a compromise. It's gotta be a morphing. So neither one of the two can look the same after the relationship. So the, the CEO is gonna change and the HR leader is gonna change. And how do you build trust? Yeah. Well, number one, presence and part, be part of the team. And I don't mean physical presence. I mean alert, actioned presence. So when we're going through issues, I understand the business issue as well as everybody else does on his team. I might not understand the solution. And you know what? Sometimes I probably ask questions that are sound stupid, but sometimes my questions are so stupid that they cause people to take a different view of a subject and find an answer. I think the number two thing you need to do is we need to park our HR compliance, administrative bureaucratic hat at the door. And I get it. I understand that administrative role for HR. That's our ticket in. We've got to do that. The org it's a core competency record keeping matters. We've got to get it right. I understand compliance matters. We can't do things poorly, but boy, I tell you, we have a tendency sometime to lead with our compliance, don't we? And we got to just come in there and be humble and just be real and just be honest and vulnerable and just go in there and be part of the team. That's where those Frank discussions come into play, right? You got to be able to just leave it hanging out there, right? Yep. Open, transparent conversations. James. I think the challenge I'm seeing is, HR is taking on more responsibility during this opportunity. And what I'm seeing is maybe the CFO isn't getting the trust in the team building 
from the accounting department or the COO has certain employees beneath the COO that aren't fully engaged and HR is picking up signals of various people on the C-suite that need improvement. And the challenge HR has is do I go to the CEO and throw other C-suite people under the bus? Do I combat directly the other C-suite people when they may not even understand the need for HR to talk to them? They're kind of stay in your lane. You know, what is the best approach of how to have that healthy conflict in the C-suite? Healthy yeah. conflict in the C-suite? How often does that happen? <laughs> Sorry, Eric. Here's where you got to establish that role as the confidant with the CEO. And the, the place when it's worked the best is in my current role with the CEO who ended up moving on. But when him and I were together, we worked on, and again, we worked on transforming the business and some major transformational moves and some very, very difficult things. But we became very close and we became, like we would basically spend a few hours every morning just sitting in either his office or mine just chatting in general chat. We traveled together to town halls or we had a lot of windshield time together and all that time kind of adds up. So the risk is there, does this become an old boy network? The old, you know, and we've got to be very careful that that doesn't happen. And it, you know, it can't become, well, I like that person, so I'm going to be effective with that person. But you can use that as an inroad. And you know, some of the times we'd be sitting in his office and we'd be talking about you know, non-GMO food and how ridiculous it is in the marketplace, you know, in the grocery store. I mean, we might be talking about nothing. And those are the conversations, though, that tee up the hard ones. And believe me, we had one. We've had had very, very difficult. I had a very, very senior member of the team that we had to hold some high-level employee relations discussions about and you know we would only prepare to handle those because of the conversations we'd had in the past right so the ceo should be leading so the ceo needs to kind of step up in, a, in an environment and a meeting and say hr's a really important part of our organization we have to work better with them would would that speed up the process do you think that would help hr gain well, more confidence and, and lean in i think what has to happen is with all due respect to them, not that. I think what needs to happen is we need to stop seeing HR as a different function because no one stands up and says, hey, finance is an important part of the business. We need to integrate them into the business. Hey, supply chain is very important. You know, you guys all need to work with the supply chain. So why do we differentiate HR? We are eight business professionals assembled around this table to run this business. My expertise happens to be people. Hers happens to be finance. Hers happens to be supply chain. We are all going to work on these problems together. We're all going to come at it with our own unique perspective and our own unique policies. I'm going to come with people-related solutions. And I'm going to come with people-related theories on things. Mm. Yep. But I think as we continue to set up this class and say, you know, hey, HR, come on, we're willing to work with you now. You know, you can come down to the playground. Well, then we're going to continue to breed HR leaders who feel different. Right. And I guess to kind of transition to what I see as the elephant in the room on social media is I'm seeing a lot of CEOs and a lot of companies roll out their message on systematic discrimination, how to have more 
diversity and inclusion and is this a time where HR should be stepping up with the CEO to help draft that message or help implement, you know, action that should be taken? You know, what's your view on that? I mean, at that point, we're kind of the press secretary. So we have to let that CEO, like she needs to establish her credibility or he needs to have his voice with the team. It shouldn't come through me. Mm. They've got to be real and they've got to be authentic and they've got to have their voice but boy, we better be helping. We better be putting pen to paper with them. And this might be one of those closed door sessions. And you know, I'm famous for my walking one with ones where I take people and we go take a walk and we walk down to Starbucks and back and takes, you know, a half hour or so, but we are, we get out of the environment. We, we can talk about things. We can work on issues without people watching or staring or the pressures of the business around you. Right. Before we're coming on, you mentioned that uh, now's the time for HR to, to leverage what's happening. There's a tremendous opportunity right now for HR to step up. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that this is going to be a, a people-led change. And I think that the changes that we've been given, the pivot that we've been forced to make, you know, the world's going to change. It's not going to look the same. The world tomorrow is not going to look like January. So we're going to go to something completely different. People are going to be scared and people don't handle change well, right? Yeah. But the part that they don't handle about change is the unknown. So if we can get them to not worry about the unknown, to focus on what they control. And I go back to my conversation about kind of ending the day and how you think through your goals and your deliverables. If you know you're working on your goals and your deliverables, then you can get through this. Mm -hmm. you you know, I coach. Oh, I'm sorry. One other thought there, James, if you don't mind. I always coach people to think about work on an axis. So on the vertical axis, I graph how much do you like doing some particular task? On the horizontal axis, I graph how much does the company value this or how, or in other words, how much can you get paid for doing this? And then I real quickly get my four quadrants, right? So quadrant number one, which is in that upper right-hand corner. That is stuff I love to do that the company values and will pay for. That is my sweet spot. If I drop down to quadrant, if I drop, I guess, swing over to quadrant number two in the upper left-hand corner, these are the things that I love doing, but the companies are not going to value. They're not going to pay for it. Those are my hobbies. Now you drop down into quadrant number three. That's lower left-hand corner. I don't like doing them. The company doesn't value them. You know what those things are? Those are the things that we don't ever do again. And then you shift over to quadrant four, which is that lower right-hand corner. And this is, I think, an important one. These are the things that the company really values, but I can't stand doing. And that's what I call my dues or my taxes. So if I, as an individual going through this crisis, can say to myself, here is my vision of who I'm going to be. These are the things that I need to do to go and be successful. I now I'm going to graph out all these things on my chart. At the end of every day, I look at it and say, okay, you know what? 70% of my work today was in quadrant number one. 10% of it was in quadrant number two and 10% was in quadrant number I'm pretty happy. If I look at it and say, hey, you know what? 80% of my work is in quadrant number three, which is the thing that nobody cares about that I don't get paid for that I can't stand. I'm doing something wrong. Those are the things that I control. I don't control COVID and I don't con control infection rates and I don't control 
availability of masks and respirators and any of that noise. What I control is what's in front of me. What did I do today to make other people successful? Love it. And I have two related questions, which is where I was going prior to your great summary of the four uh, chart. One. Yeah, do I sound analytic enough yet? I like it. It sounds more C-suite. You're big picture talker, so I, the visualization, it makes it easy. And I also love the big picture discussion. So my two-part question is, part one, in quadrant two, how do you explain why the ROI should be valuable and it should be moved to quadrant one when you really value something? How do you talk that talk? And my point two is you mentioned in quadrant three, you're not making any money doing that. How do you find other ways to motivate someone beyond money to get it moved toward maybe quadrant one? Yeah, that's, that today is a hot, a hot subject because we've got this whole gig economy and the web. And you know what? A lot of times being good at something, the quadrant three, the hobby quadrant, if you can get enough stuff that you're good at there, there is a market for it and people are monetizing all sorts of strange things. My son is three. He'll actually be four next week. And one of the things that we like to do in the morning when him and I are the first two to wake up, the early risers, and we sit down and we watch on YouTube these people restoring old rusty toys and old rusty tools. And he's fascinated by it. <laughs> but I watch this and I think to myself, there is an enabled person. This person found something they like to do. They found something they're good at and they're developing a market for it. Now, whether they're doing it purposefully or accidentally, I don't know. But I do think that as this world transforms, there's going to be a lot more people who make a career out of the hobby quadrant and more power to them. They'll have my applause and my help every step of the way. Because we get people doing the things they love. They're going to do it with a lot of passion. I like you two gentlemen do this podcast. Getting the other quadrants, sometimes you have to pay your dues and sometimes you just have to pay your taxes. And a lot of times that means you're going to do stuff in that quadrant that you don't like, but that the company needs you to do. And those are the things that enable you to do the stuff in the other quadrant, which is the stuff that you love and that the company really needs. Yeah. I find that every time I step outside my comfort zone, it always leads to a pretty big leap forward. Early on in my career, when I was trying to get ahead and I felt kind of stuck. Like you had a frank conversation with my boss and he was like, do something, help me do something I don't like to do. And I'm like, all right, what is it? And he said, it's this very specific report. I was in hotels and it was an absolutely brutal report. It took about an hour of my day, every single day to do it. But his attitude in the office changed, his attitude towards me changed. And I got a promotion way above I jumped a couple of levels within the organization because his recommendation, like this guy just grounded out for 18 months doing something he really wasn't supposed to be doing. He learned a new skill and didn't back down once, but it's just people tend to give up. It looks a little bit too much, like too much hard work. I love Eric, that how, how can we, how can we, can, is there any way to speed things up or sometimes do you just have to have to pay your dues? Sometimes you just have to pay your dues. I mean, yeah. We all have been through that. We've walked through the terrible, terrible days. And as uh, surprisingly, one of the admin assistants, one day I can remember it was early, early in my career. And I was walking down the hall, 
downtrodden and I was, you know, the weight of the world on my shoulders and all of this. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? You need to remember something. She goes, some days you're the windshield, but some days you're the bug. She yeah. goes, today you just happen to be the bug. Get over it. Yeah. I love it. I think a great takeaway is how important it is to be fully checked in during meetings. And that was kind of how you started. And I also see, you know, Callum is very checked in when he reaches out to a person. Like, uh, I know somebody that we mutually know, uh, he was there to talk about what are they looking to accomplish in life. And one of them wanted to do a mission trip. And Callum actually did a, a side email and helped create an opportunity for that person to have their mission trip. So I think even though we may be trying to sell a product or a service, if we really just figure out what someone really wants and start there, the rest may fall naturally. That's uh, what, one of the best conversations I had over the past two months. I was an HR director this morning and my, my regional VP was listening off to the side on, on the Zoom meeting. I knew he was there. And I just got to the point and I was like, Jennifer, do you, don't you just want it? Would you just wish it would just freaking work? <laughs> and, and, and I can hear that intake of breath. My boss is like, we're so far off the sales script of showing how great we are. I'm like, Jennifer, don't you just want it fucking work? And she was like, God, yes. I just want to have an honest conversation. Please just be real with me. Can you just make it work? And I went, yeah, it's going to be all right. So what is it? And then all of a sudden, the heavens opened, right? And she just said, this is everything that's bothering us. Rather than this tap dance around each other for Zoom meetings for the next three months, she's just like, here's the deal. You're the only person that said to you that was actually honest and open. And I just wish more people would have these conversations and realize that it's not going to ruin your career. I mean, they're, at worst, they're just going to say no, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you don't want to do it because you think there's some payback in the end. But think about times, and I was looking through my network today, and I was actually got a phone call right as this was starting, so I couldn't pick it up. And um, it was somebody who I interviewed, and I was going to hire, but then we couldn't hire. And this is 10 years ago almost. And we ended up not hiring him. And him and I have remained close friends to where we pick up the phone and call each other here and there over time. But I remember he was in a situation where he was joining a company and one of the people who he was going to be reporting to was one of the VPs who I worked with at Pepsi. So I picked up the phone, had a quick conversation with her and told him all about what I knew of him. And if anything, maybe it just not paved, paved the street, but at least he was a name on, you know, he popped changed from being a name on the piece of paper to somebody who, Hey, maybe it's someone I could talk to or have some knowledge about, but I don't know what the end result will that will be or what kind of, well, will cross paths again in the future, but you do it and you do it because it's the right thing to do. And I think that's that transparency. That's that giving back. That's that being a giver. Agreed. And on top of, giving and helping others, I think that if you're fully checked in, you have a deeper connection with somebody because you can cut through the BS. If you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine, thank you. And you really say, no, no, no. How are you doing? And then they find out I'm miserable. I'm a full-time <laughs> teacher for my kids. I'm depressed. Yeah. 
get out. I feel trapped. Uh, and once you have that talk, you have a completely different relationship than just cheers. Have a good day. And you know, you don't ever discount the impact your actions have on somebody. And for that, I'm going to use an example from my son again. So when we took Christian to school, he was, he had a hard time transitioning to school, right? So he was, and it was pre-K three, but he was upset and he didn't want us to leave and he didn't want me to put him down and hold me this and then upset, upset, upset. So one of the days he was really crying, crying, crying. And the, one of the little girls in his class brought him a book and said, here, Christian, this book will make you happy. And she says, and don't worry, daddy's come back. <laughs> so now the other day we were going through pictures from school and he says, oh, that's Jocelyn. I said, oh yeah, you like Jocelyn? She's super nice, isn't she? And he says, yeah, she used to do things to make me happy when she saw I was sad. But it really makes you, it really reminds you that this stuff sticks with people. And it doesn't, what you do today stays with them for a long time. And if you're a jerk, that stays with them too. Yeah, don't, was it don't crap on people on the way up? Because hey. they'll crap on you on the way down when you need them. Yeah. So Eric, we're gonna we're gonna so Friday we want you guys to enjoy your weekend. I mean, what's the one biggest takeaway you want people to have from the from the CEO and the, the HR generalist or HR director relationship you would like people to understand that would make their lives easier? Right now, I think this is this current crisis is about or the recovery from this current crisis is gonna be entirely about building teams and strong cultures. Don't look for a formula. Don't look for a magic fix. Don't look for some button to press to make everything better. Get out there, work together, build from values. Give people clear vision, give them clear mission, strategies, objectives. Let them go do things the way, you know, life has changed. We're no longer work-life balance. Now we're talking about work-life integration, remote work, the genie's out of the bottle, you know, all of those things that we could talk about for hours and maybe we'll, you know, talk about in future sessions, but don't look for a magic fix. People was hard. People were hurting. Now they're back. Let's help them build your culture. I was going to say cultural fit or performance or high performer. What's kind of a CEO's got two candidates, cultural fit or performance, which one's more important? Well, outside of a huge delta on performance, cultural fit. Pretty much if you're at the C-suite level, you're looking at a candidate, their qualifications or technical qualifications are there. You should be hiring fit and finish. Because if you hire a jerk into your leadership ah. team, it's going to tear your leadership team apart. Yeah, yeah. nobody wants that. Not, not at that level. No. James, anything else you want to you share? Because you were on a – what was the webinar you were on this morning? Yeah, it was all about leadership and how to provide the right foundation for getting employees back to work, whether it's the physical safety or the emotional safety. And I think one of the key takeaways is that you have to give that employee comfort. And in order to give that employee comfort, you have to give them a voice, you have to communicate, and I think you have to be real. We can't be fake and just say what feels good. We have to get to understand our team on a deeper level. Yeah. And I'll was tell you, James, the biggest risk we have as organizations right now is not the virus and it's not infection rates. Our biggest risk right now is old school cultural norms that are not going to transform fast enough. 
Yeah, you got to. It's going to be. It's going to be a real big niche mar- niche market for training HR departments to be able to navigate all the rules and regulations, and also all the ones that aren't going to be put in place that are now going to be unwritten rules for behavior that are going to change everything. It's not going to change everything, but it's definitely going to have a huge impact. So it's going to be interesting times in HR. I hope companies are are giving HR the resources to step up and address them. Eric, do you think there's going to be more money and more respect directed to HR because of what's been happening? I think HR is going to, you know, get what they deserve. And if we step up and we treat this like a business professional would treat it and strategically help these organizations lead through it. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So Eric, you've got another, you've got a personal site, don't you? Yeah, so if you visit me at www.tarigian.com, I'd be happy to keep this narrative going. I also, you know, a lot of people are hurting right now and a lot of people are looking for a solution and there's a lot of change that's been enforced upon them. And I have a whole site there dedicated to helping people. And I've got some tools and some tricks and some passion and I love to love to help. So if, if I can help you, please reach out. If you want to just get the narrative going, please reach out. I love to have a discussion. You know, I have a, as you can tell, I have a passion for this and I'll talk HR all day long. Yeah. I think everyone needs a lot of help right now. Even experts need a lot of help right now. No one's quite an expert and everything going on right now. Nobody. Well, maybe James. <laughs> Again, I don't know how you come up with this stuff so fast, but that was a really good, that was a good, that was a good webinar this morning. I got a couple of real good ones out of it. Uh, it's all about the team. I can't do it all by myself. So it's good to have a, a team helping and various tasks. Awesome. All right. So Eric, we're going to wrap it up. We definitely want to have you back on. There's a, there's a CEO from a local company in Fenton, uh, Burgerflex. I'm going to give him a shout out. Uh, he just posted on LinkedIn. They're going to double in size over the next six to eight months. So they were, uh, they were designated a necessary business. So they didn't have any furloughs or shutdowns at all. And, and a time like this to double the size of your company is just fantastic. So I'd love to get this guy on. And Eric, I'd like to see a, a VP of HR talk to a, a CEO and say, all right, let's, let's, let's hear from you directly. You're a successful guy. How did you build your team and, and how are you making it happen like that right now? I think that would be, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, I'd love it. It'd be a wonderful conversation. So I really thank both you gentlemen. I really enjoyed this and I enjoy the work you do every day. I love to listen to your podcasts and anytime I can help give back, please reach out. Uh, You betcha. All right. See you all later.